0: the mic is right here so very cool. shouldn't pick anything out test one two <laughs> <pick
1: that out>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so hi my name is crystal maser i'm a freelance writer and game developer i've worked on a whole bunch of different stuff i've worked on uh vampire fifth edition um chicago by night let the streets run red and the player's guy which just recently released um I've also worked on the Never Going Home line for Wedding Games, which is World War I Eldritch Horror. Um, What else? I've done a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I am the lead developer for PIP System from Third Eye Games. I am also a co-host for Darker Days Radio, and I do a podcast series that is called Freelancer Mentorship, where I bring on a whole bunch of different people and interview them about different aspects of the um, freelancing business as well, and deep dive into things. So I do things like there's a, a, um, a panel specifically about pay, and that's it, We don't talk about anything else. So those are like really deep dives. This is just like an intro. So I just wanna get a feel for who's all here. How many of you are currently freelancers? Okay, how many of you are looking to get into freelancing or are curious about it? Fantastic. And then how many of you do community content? Okay, cool. You will have a lot of talk to talk about. (laughs) Um, And then um, at the end, what I will do is I will have, let everybody, um, uh, I'll have questions and stuff like that. I'll be able to hang out afterwards. We may not be able to get to everybody's question um, because we do have, I want to make sure everybody has enough time to speak, okay? um so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna have everybody introduce themselves on the panel um at the end of the panel too, your tickets um please bring them up here because they're really really paying attention to the size of of panels right now I'll collect them for you right so. I go. cool so
2: i'll collect them right after i intro-, intro myself
0: okay fantastic
2: i'm i'm uh ben riggs i'm a journalist historian uh podcaster uh my book slaying the dragon a secret history of dungeons and dragons uh, came up from St. Martin's Press last year. Uh, it reveals the true story of how D&D almost died in the 1990s and was saved by its fiercest competitor. Uh, it was the, voted the eighth best history of 2022 on Goodreads, which surprised the hell out of me. Um, I'm working on a, a follow-up volume right now that is going to cover third edition, fourth edition, the OGL, maybe, and probably the rise of Paizo. We'll, we'll see where this goes. Um, I have seminars on that tomorrow if you want to look at more seminars. Um, I'll be, We're raffling off a copy of this later on, and I, I know we're raffling off other stuff too, but I am here largely to talk about uh, geek media, geek journalism, uh, and things like that, and I'm going to come collect tickets while other people talk.
3: Hi all, I'm Cage, uh, and I am a streamer, a podcaster, freelance, uh, tabletop writer, and uh, layout designer, and community manager. I'm the community manager for Storytelling Collective, which is an organization that puts on um, workshops for teaching people how to write TTRPG content. Um, as well as just all sorts of other creative endeavors, um, and I'm also the community relations rep for Drive Through RPG, so I work uh, with uh, Roll Twenty, Drive Through RPG, DMs Guild, stuff like that. Um, I don't have very like many notable titles like these folks do. A lot of the freelance work that I've done on larger titles are uh, Kickstarters that have yet to be completed. Um, But I do some indie stuff as well. This is my latest delivered. It's a solo journaling RPG that I did for Drive Through RPGs, uh, Pocket Quest, uh, Game Jam. Um, Is that available downstairs? It's available right here on this table. How how much? much? Uh, much? Uh, $10. $10. Yeah.
1: Uh, hi, I'm Tristan Zimmerman, he him, uh, and uh, I freelance, uh, I publish my own stuff, I make stuff available on the internet. The uh, the two things that I'm best known for, uh, my Molten Sulphur blog uh, at moltensulfur.com, where I put out uh, articles about cool things taken from real history and folklore and then show you how to file the serial numbers off of them and drop them into the campaign you're already running. Uh, and uh, also... Uh, Shanty Hunters, my any award-winning RPG about magical sea shanties in the year 1880. uh, Available for sale at the IGDN booth, uh, booth 132. Uh, So tell your friends. Uh, And uh, that's me. Hi.
4: Yeah, I I am uh, Mitch, uh, and uh, I'm co-owner of any bird tail. Our latest creation was Necrobiotic. As you can see before you, you can find that at booth 161. Uh, over at Imagining Games. Other than that, I write for Chew, the role-playing game. I've done art direction for a couple of titles um, and have a couple other projects coming up. So that's it.
0: Awesome. Um, So we have um, several unique panelists up here because normally I talk about specifically freelancing for RPGs, but there is a whole bunch of different media to be able to write for and get into the industry with. Um, So Um, what I want to talk about is first off, um, I should have had you guys do this. I'm sorry. Um, so I want to talk about like, how did you guys get into what you guys specifically do? Because everyone has a very different pathway. Um, like my pathway is, is that, um, I'm, I'm a teacher by trade and one of my friends had been trying to get me to write stuff forever. And then finally he sat down and he's like, Hey, I need, a scenario uh, a kid scenario for Halloween um, for this specific it was an open license game and uh, you have to have it done by mid-September so I can get it laid out and everything like that for Halloween and I was like oh okay um, and so I did that and as uh, uh, like it turned out that the person who did the layout was Aloyla Santa Aloyla Santa is the owner of Third Eye Games And he was like, hey, I really like what you wrote. Um, I have a project coming up. I would like for you to be a writer on it. That ended up being the PIP System core book. I was one of the main writers for it and it ended up winning an Any, a Judges Award Any at the 2018, yeah, I think it's 2018 um, Gen Con year. So, and from there, it steamrolled into a whole bunch of other things. I ended up getting a whole bunch of other writing offers and getting to work on projects like Vampire the Masquerade, which was my very first role playing game. Um, if you would have told 16 year old me that that was gonna <laughs> happen, you, I would have been like, you're lying to me. <laughs> um, so it kind of steamrolled. So I have a very different intro into gaming than a lot of other people have. So what was your intro into gaming and or into like the writing aspect of things and, and like your story behind that? So.
2: I, I failed for like 15 years. Um, at at writing and uh, then I got a book published it's the shortest version possible Uh, (laughs) but the the bumps in between Um, I wrote a fantasy novel it didn't sell, I wrote another fantasy novel it didn't sell, each of those is like two year cycles, then I did it again and again then I started a podcast on uh, role playing games which led into a job uh, writing for Geek and Sundry uh, which led into writing about the history of role-playing games, which led to people just giving me shocking stories about the history of role-playing games in the 1990s, which led to Geek and Sundry being like, we don't want to publish that, that's too shocking! Which, to, which led to me being like, well shit, i got to put this in a book, which led to, <laughs> to the book selling. Um, so again, my, my, short, uh, my, my short nugget here would be for the love of god do something do something you just keep 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 in motion keep going keep writing whatever you, you know keep designing games don't stop don't stop don't stop and you know you'll make your own luck eventually cage
3: yeah, um, I feel like I'm kind of like the baby in the room when it comes to TTRPG stuff. I didn't even play in my first game until like 2017, I think, um, and I didn't really know anything about anything, which is ironic because I went to school like less than 30 minutes away from Lake Geneva where D&D was born and I was totally oblivious. So um, uh, so I, I didn't really get into it until uh, I started playing more. I started getting into like listening to podcasts and... Um, I, uh, through Twitter, I think it was, I discovered like the D20 Dames podcast and a couple of other podcasts, and they're all designers in different ways. And, um, some of them were taking the storytelling collectives, write your first adventure workshop. And I was like, that sounds really cool. And I talked myself out of it for like two years. And then finally the pandemic hit, I was working from home. And July 2020, I wrote my first adventure using the Write Your First Adventure workshop uh, stuff. And I wrote the Brewski Jubilee, which is still like my favorite DMs Guild one-shot that I've written. Um, And it just kind of like took off from there. Like people see your writing and then they ask you to write on projects. And then somebody from that project says, hey, you know, you'd be great for this project. And it just kind of continues on from there. Um, I also have my bachelor's degree is in graphic design, so I got really into the layout design. I do all of my own layout design and, um, a lot of my freelance gigs are actually in layout and not in writing. Um, so that's, um, I think that's kind of like where my avenue has gone and, um, and kind of like, yeah, how I've gotten into that and that's how I got into community management with the storytelling collective too. I just kind of never left Ashley alone and eventually she contracted me to help out, so.
1: Uh, so I had a, a an unusual uh, avenue, in, in some ways unusual avenue in. Um, I, uh, I graduated college. Uh, I was I, joining the Navy. Uh, the Navy kept saying like, oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna contact you real soon to ship you out to boot camp. And real soon stretched out and out and out. And I didn't want to get a square job because, you know, oh, any day now, surely. Um, and at some point I said, well, you know what, I'm not doing anything with my time. Uh, I would like to uh, I would like to write and publish something with a friend. And what was really weird about that is that um, uh, what what we did is this was uh, late 2012, Kickstarter was still very new. Um, and I, I ran a Kickstarter campaign for us that had almost no information on the page. The video was literally just like a 22 year old child Standing in front of what could not have been more obviously his bed sheet taped to the wall <laughs> behind him and just like Jabbering at the camera incoherently for two minutes and uh, uh, That Kickstarter campaign pulled in a couple of grand and I uh, wrote and you know, we, we wrote and published our, our first product um, and the reason I bring all this up is uh, that avenue is effectively closed, right? Kick, kick's backers on Kickstarter now have much higher standards for what they're willing to throw money at. And the reason why that matters to, to you guys is that was basically just 10 years ago. And yet the, the, the market has changed significantly. And like the way that got me in is now closed to you, but other ways have opened that I don't know about. So the the RPG hobby market is constantly changing and evolving. So like, if you see an avenue that you think is interesting, and like, take it, don't be like, oh, well, I haven't heard that anybody else is doing this. Yeah, maybe, maybe you've never heard of anybody doing that before because it doesn't work. But equally likely, you've never heard of anybody doing it before because the market has changed and this is now an option that didn't exist two years ago so like advice is 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 really useful advice is great but like please don't feel constrained by other people's advice because everything is constantly changing end story
4: uh yeah i was doing sales for uh, a lot of the booths uh downstairs um, at gen con and origins and packs unplugged and a few uh, the first uh, company that brought me on was Studio Two, and I was working with uh, Six More Vodka, um, and that publisher in of itself is uh, an amazing and weird story. <laughs> um, but I just could, ins- could you
2: could you tell us two sentences about it for those, they of those have who have know nothing too about. Too much
4: it. money to be in this industry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> could you could you tell those who don't know what their product is?
4: Uh, the Genesis Rebirth. And what's um,
2: awesome about it?
4: It's $240 just to play the 2 <laughs> oh, Uh um, But they are artists who do stuff for Marvel and League of Legends, so they never really cared about it. Does it money. have a trailer on YouTube? It does. A live-action one. <laughs> Two of them. Does a
2: naked male model do heroin in the trailer? <laughs> yes, it does. It's actually... Uh, the, the guy's
4: button is really nice.
2: <laughs> Don't go now, but later. Go check out the Degenesis trailer. It's amazing. Yeah, just
0: a note... Darker Days Radio is eighteen plus, so we're okay. okay. As long as you're not too
3: graphic.
2: We're good. I, I don't think I'll Swears. talk about it, but. I'm, sorry, <laughs> I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to bogart your talk, but no, like, no, it was that game is something else. You really glazed
3: else. over
4: that.
2: Yeah, well, it's always like, I, it's a
4: whole thing to get into. and I'm, I'm like, like, You say
2: six more vodka. I'm, I'm a groundhog that has come out of my hole.
4: <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, they don't do stuff. They don't do TTRPGs anymore. I know! Uh, which is sad. Though there are board games slash card games downstairs uh, to check out. It's, kind of, it's all like plant wars. Uh, but I was just doing sales for people, and eventually I inserted myself into their stuff. Uh, I was doing marketing for them, and I was like, you know what would help me market? If I was writing for you, too. Like, that's just easy, right? It's something I'm passionate about, so if I, you know, it helps out, uh, and that's how I pretty much got into it. Was I kept inserting myself into projects. Um, yeah, I don't think I've gotten a lot of like, hey Mitch, can you write? It's more so like, and I'm gonna mark it for you, and I'm also gonna write for you, and I'm gonna mark right. for you. Um, and that's kind of how I, I got I just inserted myself into places.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Um, okay, so I wanna to touch a little bit about pay, because this is always a touchy subject, and I'm one to like to poke this bear. Um, so if you follow me on social media, um, you will see me always rally that 10 cents a word, it should be the industry average. It is not. Um, I do still work for stuff that is below 10 cents a word. However, my cutoff is like four cents a word and it has to be something I am passionate about. Okay. Um, so what I want to talk about is the different types of pay what you guys feel should be either standard or things that are included with pay to kind of make it a little bit better because there are things that companies can do to kind of offset that pay. Is it the best? No. Is it what the industry has? Right now, yeah. Um, And then like, um, if you've been paid, like, does everyone know what per word means? Okay, if you don't know what per word means, when you get a writing assignment, you'll be like, I'm gonna assign you 10,000 words. You're gonna get 10 cents per word. So every word that you write, you get paid per word. Okay, that's kind of the industry standard, but there's a couple of others, um, such as like what's called batch pay or bulk pay, which is, you know, you just write between 800 to 1000 words and we'll give you 50 bucks. That's kind of what PIP system does for the primers. Um, so, So you can kind of average it out to did I average it up It was like between 6 cents a word or 12 cents a word, depending on how many words you write. So you kind of can figure it out what your worth is to me. And you're still going to get the same amount of money, but you can adjust the word count to fit your comfort level instead. Um, and it also is really a lot easier to budget. <laughs> um, so.
2: I should probably go last because I'm weird.
0: Oh, yeah, you are a weird yeah. one. So... Um, You wanna
1: go? Yeah, so um, when you are figuring out what pay rate, and and if you are getting started as a freelancer, you're probably not gonna have a huge ability to negotiate your own rate, right? Um, That is the unfortunate truth, and it is also an unfortunate truth that normal pay rates in this industry are garbage. Mm -hmm. And if you are getting into this because you think it'll be a neat side hustle that you can make a little money after the end of your day shift, like, no, just pick up an extra shift at work. You will be much better served. Um, for methods of getting paid, uh, I will add in one more. Uh, the company that I'm currently uh, doing a lot of freelance work for, Flagbear Games Booth 1650, they're always looking for writers, just FYI, booth 1650, Flagbear Games. Um, uh, they pay uh, per hour, which is really unusual but really valuable because they oh, do wow. historical RPGs. And uh, I do mostly historical RPGs, that's, that's my brand. And the deal with historical stuff is for every hour I spend writing, I have to spend a minimum of three hours doing research. And if I'm getting paid per word, I don't get paid for that research, right? So if I am getting contracted to write, you know, uh, elves and dragons, man, I can crank out material for elves and dragons. It's just like, yep, and then the elf and the dragon, boop, 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 boop. You look up at the end of the day and it's like, oh, wow, 4,000 words, amazing. You can't do that for historical stuff. Uh, so, all of which is to say, think about what kind of, of, of work it is that you're doing when you're calculating out your, your per word, what you're, you're willing to take per word. Uh, if it is a system that you're unfamiliar with, you're going to have to spend a lot more time familiarizing yourself with the system and you're not going to get paid for that time. So, that's going to cut down on how much of your time you actually get paid for. But, if you play a lot of 5th edition and it's a 5th edition thing, Cool, you've internalized all that, right? You can just crank stuff out because you know the rules inside and out. Take the unpaid labor into account when you're figuring out, okay, how many words do I think I can write in a day? How many words do I think I can write in an evening when I'm exhausted because I've just gotten home from from a long shift and I hate my job? Um, Like, take all that into account because you might look at your per word rate and think, okay, well, I've been told that this is low, but this feels reasonable to me. And two months in, you're like, oh, no, this is significantly worse than I thought it was.
3: Uh, I'll say there's another way that you can get paid, and that's by royalties. Um, So that's a really big thing with community content programs like the DMs Guild or Storytellers Vault. Um, They're much more community-focused, and oftentimes they're not like big publishing companies that are putting out products. It's just people that want to put out a cool adventure or a subclass that they had an idea of, and they might want people to help write or help edit. And basically what they'll do is um, they'll say like, okay, well, for DMs Guild, for instance, um, uh, you get 50% of whatever you make on that. So if you have a title that's out there for $5, you're gonna get $2.50 every single time it sells. And so people will split up that 50 cents then. And sometimes people will do kind of like point systems, like. Every time, like if you write this chapter, you get like 10 points of that. If you're editing, you're going to get eight points of that. And then people just like divvy it up, depending on whether you have art or project managers or multiple writers or whatever it might be. So you might only be getting like 2% of the end result. But um, if it's a really good product, it'll sell really well. And because I hate myself this last month, I made an Excel spreadsheet because a lot of my stuff is like I I wrote it and so I'm nobody's paying me to do it right I'm putting it out there and I'm hoping it sells and so I made an excel spreadsheet where I put down okay this is how many words I wrote if I'm going to pay myself 10 cents a word here's how I did like what I paid for editing here's what I paid for art here's if I paid myself to do the layout based on what I was charging at the time that I put this out and I'm like two grand in the hole I think <laughs> so uh, Like, Bruschi Jubilee, I wrote it in 2020. I still need to make, like, another $300 to start making a profit on it. So, like, it's one of those things, like you were saying, pick up an extra shift at work if you're hoping to make money doing this. But it's also fun. Like, I love being able to pl- to run that game for my friends. And I love, like, going to conventions and being able to talk about the games that I've made and stuff like that. So it's it's fun, but it's definitely not, like an overnight success kind of thing, especially I think the, the market is really big now. And so it's it's a little bit harder to get into that. So royalty shares is a thing. Um, but like, if it's like a really big company, you probably want to make sure you're at least getting some flat rate stuff out of that if they're going to offer royalties. But there's a lot of different ways that companies do stuff. So like the I, I did one where they did the same thing where it was like the bulk, where it's mm-hmm. like just right within this range and we'll pay you. And then they did another thing where it was like a Kickstarter and it was like, if we hit this stretch goal and you help us promote it, we're going to pay you extra on top of that. Or there's also like other crowdfunding ones where it's like, if we reach the stretch goal, it's going to be 15 cents a word instead of 12 cents a word or, you know, whatever it might be. And so it also kind of gets you kind of more excited to market it as well, which is nice for them. And then you get paid a little extra. So that's kind of cool, too. Um but yeah, so so community pr- projects. um Like I know myself, like I can't, if I'm, I can't afford to pay people like a, a like ten cents a word for you know ten thousand words or whatever. And so if it's somebody else who's just as interested in the project and they're they know that it may not sell or it may sell really well, like you might be able to go in on a front with a friend on a project. And you don't have to pay them up front. You do royalties. Um, and sometimes it really works out. Um, I wrote on, um, El- uh, Elminster's Excellent Establishments, which is one of the, uh, on the DM's Guild. And like, I've made back, like if I charge 10 cents a word, I've made more than that now at this point on that title. So, um, there, there are success stories on that as well. Um,
0: yeah, I always yeah. tell people don't work for free. However, working for trade or royalty, if you're comfortable with it is fine. For instance, I am not a layout person, at all. Um, it makes me cry. And so- Me too. Um, but I, I, can't, <laughs> like, I can't afford to pay somebody t- right now on my own to do so. So I have a friend where I, uh, he does the layout for me and I do the development work for his writing because he is fantastic at layout. He does all of the darker days radio layout for our products. Um, so he does all the layout for me I do all of the dev work for him and so we have a trade going on and we also do royalty split um, and we do we have a, a darker days radio slush fund, radio slush fund on drive through so that we can eventually start paying artists to do original work and stuff like that for us so we have a system worked out but we trust each other too <laughs> yeah collab so.
3: projects like are really nice but you definitely need to make sure that you know like who you're working with so like and it's really nice when you have friends who are also multi-talented, because, like, I co-wrote uh, To Have a Hold with one of my friends, and we kind of split the writings more or less down the middle. I did all the layout, and he did all the art, and then we did royalty shares out to an editor. And that was, I mean, we haven't made our money back necessarily on that one, but, like... It really worked out that we didn't have to be like, okay, how are we going to source art for this? Or, you know, how are we going to, you know, finish writing all of this? Or who's doing our layout? We were able to do it in-house. But I've also heard horror stories where people say like, okay, well, you all do a royalty split with this. And then the product never goes live. So you're not making any money because there's no royalties. Um, so you just gotta be really careful and, and make sure that you know that you're what you're getting into when you do stuff like that, because you can get really burned really fast.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think my first, um, uh, I guess job interview, uh, I was with, uh, it was with Helm Gass who does like cult divinity lost and, uh, troubleshooters and stuff. Um, and I was like, yeah, I would do this job for free. This sounds awesome. Uh, which my friends smack me on the head afterwards, (laughs) which is fair. Uh, And even now, like, I have uh, someone who I like to send uh, in place of myself whenever we're talking about, like, how much money are they going to pay me for such and such because I'm a horrible salesperson when it comes to me because I'll do something for very little. Um, And So I think that's, like also something to think about when you're trying to get into it is are you good at you know talking about that about uh, fighting for yourself and being like yeah I prefer not to do it for free I want to be paid X amount uh, and if you can't do it yourself finding someone who would be willing to just be inserted in that email uh, to help you out uh, because certainly that that would help me out a lot of the times
1: in the early days. Um. So. Uh to to talk about another way to get your, your words and your art out in the world. And of course, make no mistake about it, tabletop role-playing games are art. If you make TTRPGs, you are an artist. And whether you make a nickel on it or not, the world is richer and better for having your art in it. So like, please don't take this as us dissuading you. Like, Do your thing. Make your art. Be an artist. It's amazing. Um, but if you uh, don't want to work for someone else or work, with a collaborator uh, you can always of course make your own right like make your own uh, work and um, particularly for your first product remember that um, that it is expensive that it will wind up costing significantly more than you think it will Um, and uh, the, the smartest approach I have yet heard someone tell me about when it came to money on their first product was they told me, Tristan, my goal is to make $1 of net profit. Um, and that was perfect, right? Because I, I I do a lot of mentorship and I have so many people who say like, oh, well, you know, make a mark, but really I, I intend to make some money. Like for your first product, intend to make a net profit of $1 and that goal will keep you from going all out on, you know, commissioning all this amazing art and, you know, like it encourages you to keep your expenses low. Um, but... Uh, it 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 also keeps you know keep keeps your head in a in a a realistic vein
3: stock art is your friend when you're starting out so i don't i don't want to like jump to a different topic too much but um being in the write your first adventure workshop server um you see a lot of people who are doing it for the first time and they're like well i want to you know pay all this money for my cover or whatever and like you, I mean, if you want to, please go ahead. If you know that you have the money and the budget to drop a hundred dollars on a really beautiful full cover, you know, piece, sure, do it. But you're writing a one shot adventure for the DM scale, and you're going to get fifty percent of those profits. You're very unlikely to make that money back. This cover. This is literally a box that was shipped to me and I took a picture of it and I put some (laughs) filters on it, right? Bruschi Jubilee. I I just found a picture on Unsplash of some wheat that was royalty-free and I put some filters on it. Like, you can do that. But then, like, also for, like, Wolf and Merchant's clothing, I did find some stock art on drive-thru. It wasn't very expensive and it was a beautiful cover, And like, so you can do stuff with a really low art budget. And the inside of this is all just words. Like I made the logo, everything else is just text. So, I mean, you can do some pretty low budget stuff. It doesn't have to be, you know, like $3,000 art budget, but if you can afford it, go for it.
0: Start taking photos of things around your area that are royalty free, like no historical sites, because those are, you actually have to have a license for photos of those. But things like, if you have, you know, um, like my family has property up in Northern Wisconsin and there is an old abandoned house there. I go and take photos of it all the time. I can throw a filter on that, That's, I own that. <laughs> and I can throw that into an RPG. So start taking photos of stuff around that you find interesting or cool and keep it because you might be able to throw a filter on it, throw some sort of weird thing over it and you can use that.
1: Uh, so in that uh, in that vein, Uh, talk briefly about the difference between commissioning and licensing art. So commissioning is you go to an artist and you say, hey, here is the piece I want you to make. And they say, "Uh, great, I'm going to make it. It's going to be beautiful and it's going to cost a gazillion dollars. Uh, And maybe that's worth it. Um, Licensing art is, hey, I saw that you already made this piece of art. Can I pay you some money to use it? And from the artist's perspective, that is free money. That is money out of the sky.
2: Here's a piece of licensed
1: art. uh, The cover for Shanty Hunters. I found this piece on DeviantArt. I approached the artist. I said, hey, I would like to license your... Your, your piece for my cover, his response was, wow, this, I have been making art for 20 years. Literally, this is the first time this has ever happened to me, a hundred bucks, I guess. And I said, okay, let me at least talk you up to um, <laughs> 200. Uh, so I don't feel bad about it. Uh, the, uh, the inside of Shanty Hunters is, is lavishly and lovingly illustrated uh, with period illustrations scanned from old books, which are all in the public domain. Um, so it is very possible to make a beautiful piece on a budget.
3: In the last couple of years, too, there's been some really good resources for finding good public domain art. Yeah. Um, I have an upcoming title that will be released mm-hmm. in the next like week or two, and almost all the stuff on the interior is public domain. It's all royalty-free stuff, too. Cool.
0: Yes, I see a question. I'm hearing a lot about what writers are paid, and then, oh, we have to pay artists, too. And I don't want to skip layout. Yeah, so,
3: um, what have you seen for more than Yeah, that really depends. And again, people get paid different ways. Yep. So some people get paid per hour, some people get paid per page. Um, I think sometimes people will do like kind of like a bulk rate too, where it's like, we got this book, it's this many words. Um, I started at $3 a page, um, which uh is not terribly much lower than what i do now i do like five dollars a page for pdf and six dollars a page if it's going to be printed demand. man um but i also tend to do some smaller stuff um and for like not very large publishing companies um i don't i'm not an illustrator i'm i'm not like like i need all the elements given to me and so there are some really great layout designers that are doing like $12 a page and stuff like that too, or, um, or maybe they're pro- like professional, like professional, professional layout designers and they're getting paid Google bucks per hour. Um, but my, my layout stuff is usually pretty simple. So I feel comfortable around like the five to $7 per page kind of area, but I see eight to $8 to $10 two people will offer, um, per page. So um, I think I did a book that was somewhere around like 100 some pages. This was a couple years ago, and I got paid like $400 or something like that for it. Is that helpful?
4: Know. It is. Thank you. So I'm a publisher now, so I get to dictate like the rates of which I pay people. And for the most part, like I've been doing 10 cents a word. Um, and then for at least for Necrobiotic, I think we paid the layout artist 5000 uh, oh. the for the book um it's a beautiful book too how yeah. beautiful
2: is that book is it nominated for any ennies?
4: I- writing which was strange because i was like oh, i really feel it should be done for
2: art but okay
4: uh, i was disappointed so well uh,
2: some of us aren't nominated for any innies any innies? <laughs> i'll be at mcdonald's tonight if that makes
3: feel better <laughs> uh,
4: but uh, i mean for for me like uh, art is kind of uh, mixed up with the marketing budget. Um, I can sell a lot more with um, uh, better art than I can mm-hmm. with um, with. Uh, I mean strangely, uh, uh, like a really quality writer, just because people are going through and they only have a couple <coughs> of seconds, so trying to be like, this author is really good. Uh, that's really hard to communicate. Uh, eventually it's so subjective, but when someone looks around, they're like, oh, that's beautiful art. I can go, I can go buy that. next." Uh, <laughs> And, yeah. <laughs> and so um, when, especially for graphic design, uh, shifting a lot of the budget over to that because uh, graphic design can fill in a lot of places that, um, you know, paying uh, $500 per art piece uh, would have been doing otherwise. So you save a little bit of money. So 5000 like for a layout, you're like, oh, that's expensive. But comparatively, trying to fill those pages with art would have been horrendous. Um, for Necro, the front cover was about 1,500 with each piece being about 500. Uh, and we do have some license pieces within it and those ended up being like 250. Um, and yeah, that's just,
2: it's expensive. I'm, I'm gonna jump in front of your question because I should really delete the things I posted on social media, off social media very quickly. Um, so I, I, if, if you would are interested in seeing the images that I'm gonna talk about in a moment, um, on Instagram, I am ben.riggs.writes. On Facebook, I am Ben Riggs. On the app formerly known as Twitter, I am uh, Ben Riggs underscore. Uh, but I, I want to show you some th- uh, things about the role playing game. There's a... R-I-G-G-S. Two G's. R-I-G-G-S. There's a... QR code posted there. I put in images because I failed at creating a QR code. Because oh, OK. It, it looked apparently. like an
0: ad. It was yeah, weird. Yeah. So yeah. I
2: just posted raw images, which uh, I, I don't want the world to fully see. But the first, and I'm going to, and if someone really is like, you know, and I also just have it here, so I'm just going to pass it around. But the first image is uh, sales of the D&D player's handbook for first edition, second edition, third edition, 3.5, and, th- and fifth edition. Um, and there are some problems with uh, some of these numbers, but as you can see, first edition sold about 1.5 million copies per, uh, of the Player's Handbook, second edition sold about 1 million copies of the Player's Handbook, third edition uh, sold about 600,000 copies, even though that's not what this chart says, but I, got, I had a leak a month ago, and another leak last night from someone who got drunk. Um, <laughs> Third edition sold about 600,000 copies. 3.5 sold about 300,000 copies. And fourth edition, nobody told me yet. But fifth edition sold at least 1.5 million copies, probably more like 3 million. Um, so you have this weird graph, uh, and fifth edition is probably the most popular and best-selling yep. edition of Dungeons and Dragons of all time. Yep. And if you then combine that with the next chart which is Gen Con India attendance from 2003 to 2019, pre-pandemic, which is just going up, 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 up. up I up, say up, that's
0: public up, up, knowledge. Up. Yes, this is. So you can get that yeah. publicly, the not in that, that graph form, yeah. but yes. The
2: thing that I'm, I'm eager to delete is that player's handbook chart. So <laughs> if you have gone to my social media and you want to snip that, that'll be gone in right about 10 minutes. Um, but in 2008, I wanna say it was? No. Yeah, we we went from about 22,000 when we started in Gen Con Indy in 2003, and it peaked before the pandemic at about 70,000. I'm hearing rumors that this might be 80, 85,000 this year. I don't know. Um, We'll see on Saturday, but it's really, really big. And ICB2 uh, used to put out guesstimations of the size of the role-playing game industry, and I went through and I uh, made a graph of all the ICV2 uh, guesstimations of the size of the role-playing game industry. Ah, come back. In 2013, they were like, eh, probably about 18 million in size, the whole role-playing game industry. And in 2019, they were like, it's probably about 80 million in size. Um, and they have a chart that goes through 2020 of the growth in the tabletop Not sir, no, just the hobby industry, not the tabletop role-playing game industry. Um, So this includes like card games, miniatures, collectible card games, things like that. And between 2008 and 2022, it has grown every year by between five and 30%. Um, The point of all of that data is um, the tabletop role-playing game industry (laughs) has never been bigger than it is right now. Um, the opportunities offered to you as creators have actually never been better than they are right now. So even though there's a lot, a lot, of, a lot of grimness and a lot of like, man, don't take less than 10 percent per word, like you have a, a bigger audience mm-hmm. than anyone has had since probably 1982 uh, to, to, that is interested in what you're going to do. Um, it's one of the, like, uh, I thought my book was gonna be a $5,000 Kickstarter. I thought I'm gonna write a book on D&D history, it's gonna be a $5,000 Kickstarter, that's fine. Uh, the book is gonna be published in Turkish, Chinese, and Polish so far, and I think we're gonna keep going.
3: It In rep- English, I assume. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if,
0: if you haven't read Slaying the Dragon, by the way, you absolutely should. Even if you have no interest in D&D at all, it is literally the start of the history of this, this whole enterprise here. And it is amazingly done. Like one you, of my, you, you. one of my favorite history books and I don't like history books.
2: Available at booth uh, 161 along with Necrobiota. I know, right? We're, we're at the same place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're booth buddies. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it repaid its advance in less than a year. Uh, which is really unusual. And again, most books don't even repay their advances. Uh, the fact that there is a, a really huge audience that is interested in what you are doing, I, I, I'm pointing all of this out to give you hope. <laughs> uh, the history of the tabletop role-playing game field is essentially, d and is created, there's an explosion <clears throat> as people are like, holy shit, there's an entire new medium This is really exciting. It's like acting was created in 1974. Let's all pretend to be other people. Wow, 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 wow. And it just takes off, but uh, uh, then, and like TSR is like, this is great. We're gonna print money forever. But then then the the other thing that's amazing about tabletop role-playing games is, they're an evergreen product, and once you have the core rule books, you don't need anything else. You don't necessarily ever have to buy anything ever again. So there's a bust in the early 1980s, and the, uh, the sales numbers for TSR fall and fall and fall and fall and fall and fall and fall until third edition. There is a theoretical spike with third edition. Like in the late 90s, there were more returns of Dungeons and Dragons products than there were sales of Dungeons and Dragons products. So even though that graph I showed you, third edition sold less than second edition Um, Second edition had an 11-year lifespan. Third edition only uh, had a, well, third edition had a three-year life cycle. 3.5 had a five-year life cycle. So one of the reasons for those lesser sales numbers is it just had less time in the market. Um, But, uh, you know, compared to negative sales, those uh, 300,000, 600,000 copies sold is way better, right? Um, But still, like by 2008 uh, and the release of fourth edition, You could justifiably say the tabletop role-playing game industry was dead. We're going to turn off the lights and leave the industry, and everyone's going to go play World of Warcraft. Was anyone at Gen Con in 2008? I was. I was. What what was it
1: like? Uh, Honestly, amazing. Really? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I loved it. It was very informal. It was very loose. But honestly, most of the things I liked about it were that it was 20,000 people instead of 85,000. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, because yeah. again, it was, it was tiny. It was, it, was, it, was, it was very small. Yeah, it uh. was really small attendance. Um, and again, at, at the time, I, I was like, I bought all the games I wanted from White Wolf, Chaosium, yeah. put them in my basement, and I'm like, the tabletop role-playing game industry is done, I have the games I will need for the rest of my life, I will play with my friends, and the industry is over. That's what I thought was gonna happen. And obviously, the last uh, 15 years have proven that assumption incredibly wrong, uh, blessedly and wonderfully so. <laughs> Uh, and in many ways, you are our holy warriors who are going to go forth into the darkness and bring out light. Um, But, uh, again, and that is the thing that I am here to say as a journalist historian, and uh, I'm now going to go delete those sales numbers off the internet, because they're going to be in my next (laughs) book. Yes? What was their return policy?
1: Because how
2: could you have more returns than sales? So, okay. I'm going to... Two yeah. Can I talk two minutes on this? Yes, and then I'll start I, taking I, questions. I I'm, uh, more relevant questions? Okay, so you're talking about in the late 90s? Well, you, you said in, in a given year, they had more returns than six. So in the late 90s, I'm talking about like 1998, 1999, uh, this is after TSR had been sold to Wizards of the Coast, and as they had decided second edition was done, they were gonna make third edition, and everyone knew third edition was coming, so sale and the second edition products that were limping out were, were things that were kind of already done and there was very little interest in them um, and like f- for example gosh the Forgotten Realms box set had more returns in 1998 than sales the Dark Sun box set in it was 1997 had more returns than sales um, so it was in individual products that there were more returns than sales. Does so that make sense?
1: If I can interject, I think the detail that Ben is 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 missing thank because you. he's internalized it so thank much. Uh, <laughs> is that retailers can return unsold products to the publisher. Oh thank
2: you, thank you, thank you.
1: So like, oh we bought, you know, five thousand copies of this yeah. box set, uh, we were able to sell two thousand of them and three thousand, hello publisher, we would like our money back. Okay.
2: Thank your you. Sales you for the end customer. Your returns, your so, in, in, the, in the 90s, in this channel, um, if you were selling to Walden Books and B. Dalton's, they could return things to the distributor, who could return things to the publisher. If you were selling into the hobby game stores, like your game store, can't return stuff. Does that make sense? Okay. Do
0: I ask a more relevant question? Yeah, uh, we're gonna move on to the yeah. questions
2: section, I'm gonna, I do feel like there's I, like yeah, a I'm kind of do, I, I did my talk, yeah. I'm gonna go to So, yes, go
0: ahead, what was your other question?
2: Oh, I was just going to ask, like, it, we're talking about the expense of how expensive it is to build a game system, distribute it, find distributors in a physical capacity. There's a ton of different, like, digital distribution kind of platforms. Yeah. Do you feel like um, that's a viable alternative as a start?
3: I'm Sign- really biased because I've... I work for one. But um... <laughs> I, I, will,
0: I will tell you, um, from, from my personal experience, I had somebody I knew early 2000s publish an entire role-playing game, they had to order 5,000 copies of it from the publisher. He sold two. So um, print-on-demand distribution is where you want to be.
3: I bought 20 like, of these.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the issue with digital, and it's an issue with everything, but like it's particularly strong with digital, is signal to noise. Yes. Uh, yes, the RPG industry has never been bigger in terms of people wanting to buy, but the issue is it has never been bigger in terms of people wanting to publish. So making your voice stand out in this... It, the, the market is not crowded. It is not oversaturated. It is flooded. Um, so yeah, making what? your voice stand out is so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and because digital has a much lower barrier to entry, it's even harder in digital. Again, I'm not saying don't do it. It is art. It is worth doing for its own sake. But my god, the marketing component. Mm-hmm is so much bigger than the writing component yeah
4: yeah and like uh, i mean if you find like a good uh printer uh which definitely start that conversation as soon as possible uh the returns on uh in terms of sales are extravagant uh compared to like uh digital for me i mean digital i look at i'm like yay that's that's mcdonald's this week Uh, but then when i get physical sales i'm like "Ah, that's something a lot better
3: and I'll just one more piece on that is it it does vary a lot so like print on demand you can't do a book like that yeah, no, that foil yeah. and all of that stuff you're not going to get any of the that premium people do like ribbons and all sorts of things like even like um like drive through RPG can't print on the interior of covers so like if you know you're going to be printing off a lot of books and you want to handle that inventory and all of that do offset printing and find something you like if you are like, man, if I could sell five hardcover copies of a book, that'd be really cool. You're probably going to want to do something like drive-through RPG and do print-on-demand for that.
4: Yeah, anything less than 500 probably print-on-demand, yeah. but over 500 definitely look elsewhere.
2: Yeah. Yes? Uh, I think that's related to what you just said, but if you had, like, uh, don't project, oh, you get it out there so people would see it, so people would play it, so people would give you feedback. Oh, would it reach the good the good person, and um, would be able to um, uh, spread the word uh, in the in the community?
0: Okay, so um, I'm going to rephrase that a little bit. Um, are you are you looking for? Um, is it you are looking to get your someone's eyes on your product yes. on your game to get feedback? Right.
1: But, and yes. then, and
0: then like community build from there. Right.
2: Yes. But also, um, like if I have a drone project, Oh, should I, uh, approach the industry to, uh, present it?
0: Oh, you want to market it to like somebody to publish? Yes. Okay. That is a whole other panel.
1: Um, it's, a it's a great question, but it is it a is. totally different skill I, And
3: I can't even answer that. I self-publish all of my stuff, so, so. So
0: that is probably something you will have to self-publish because a lot of publishers do not like you just cold soliciting. Unless they call for an open call of lines, The the there are a lot of publishers who, if you solicit to them, uncalled for they won't ever hire you because you're not following their guidelines so be very very careful with that they may call out and say hey if you want to pitch us something go ahead um, and that's uh, that's completely different but yes that whole there's a whole panel on like pitches and stuff like that that that's gonna yeah. be a real big
4: Briefly conversation. Right, on. On, I mean for for me like um... Uh, Because I feel like the market is saturated with ideas, there's lots of ideas, um, but a lot of publishers are trying to, like, figure out the next five years, and they've mostly got that figured out. Uh, I know for me, I love pitches, like cold calling and pitches and stuff like that. Like, that's the stuff I, especially if you can, like, get me excited about it, Uh, and I'm pretty easily excited. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> just, and I would say like, uh, then there's a bunch of like indie TTRPG publishers downstairs like Wet Ink and Imagining yep. and stuff like that, and those people they, they love like just chatting and talking about your game. So I would say, you know, avoid the the bigger publishers and instead try to look for the smaller ones because you know they would love to hear those pitches and just email them, tell them what you're talking about and get yeah. them excited. Yeah,
0: yeah and otherwise, um, Reach out for a community like on social media. Join discords for if you're looking for playtesters. So, yes.
1: Uh, what advice would you have for someone who's used to writing in other mediums, who's just recently fallen in love with the space and is wanting to write for that? she's okay. done a little bit of homebrew, but is really looking to dive in and further to that. Are there any pitfalls that they should be aware of, or any general advice?
0: Every advice I give to every writer I hire is that every single sentence should be able to be a plot
3: yeah, that will keep one. your writing tight. I think it's also really important to recognize that a lot of TTRPG books are reference books. They're not meant to be like novels. So that people aren't necessarily going to, maybe the first time they might read it cover to cover, but especially like with this book, like the most important thing is there's like some prompt pages. So those are the pages that people are going to be flipping to, right? And so people might read it cover to cover once or twice, but it's, it's like writing a reference book or a technical book. Read that Apocalypse really, World,
2: sorry, go
4: ahead. No, uh, I was about to say that would be a really good panel because I have a few writers from like just the writing area and I have them and I'm like, I don't know what to do with you guys, <laughs> this is cool, but. Read uh,
2: Apocalypse World, Ravenloft, and the Dracula dossier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Or Genesis Rebirth, the writing on that is.
0: She had a, her hand up a couple of times and <laughs> So you had your hand up back there. Oh, again. I was just gonna ask, uh, we use um uh, thru RPG for our POD. Yeah. Are there other options out there? Because
1: we've worked with Source for years. Uh, Thompson Shore has a good reputation in the indie RPG scene right now. Thompson Shore is a company that uh, prints primarily high school yearbooks, uh, but because of that, like, they have good color printing and uh, are able to do high-quality print runs that are relatively small because, you know, most high schools aren't going to be able to move 500 yearbooks. Um, the only uh, I, one thing I consistently hear about Thompson Shore, though, uh, is make sure that you are not timing your order around when high school yearbooks <laughs> are ordered because you're gonna have to wait four months. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of others. I've worked uh, in the past with a company uh, in Iowa called Perfection Press. Um, they do good work. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of, of print-on-demand printers out there. The one caveat, though, that you get with Lightning Source and Drive Through is you get that online storefront uh, where people can go and click yes, I want to order this book and they get it printed on demand and because it's drive-thru and drive-thru Isn't the 500 pound gorilla in the room drive-thru is the room drive-thru is pretty much the room <laughs> um, There is no way to replace that So if you are doing a Kickstarter and you want to print 500 copies print on, or 300 copies print on demand maybe you go with a company like uh, perfection press perfection press did this version of this printing of Shanty Hunters, uh, but the copy of Shanty Hunters you will get if you go to booth 132 and buy it, was printed with Lightning Source. Um, So yes, there are other options, but don't necessarily uh, discount drive-thru. And not, yeah, not
0: slamming Lightning Source at all, they've been good with, but they get busy. Yeah. So sometimes their lead times get long, like, say, for, I don't know,
2: Gen con Yep. And Mitch, where's your book available? 161. Uh, 161? One. One my, one. my book's available at 161. One, you could get one and the other. And get what's your book?
0: <laughs> um, uh, IGDN? That's not 161, one, is it? It's, one, one, it's on 32. the 100. It's on, it's
1: the, on the way. The yeah. IGDN booth is booth 132. So how convenient yeah. is it that also, there's also if,
3: these right here on this <laughs> table? Also, by, her, by this book. What's your book again? Delivered. <laughs> Right. Soul journaling RPG. We did
0: have one more question, and then I will wrap everything yeah. up. And we have auction stuff, so.
2: We should, uh, the next person is here, to so we for, should really.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm sorry.
2: To Frank, for context, you said $5,000 for layout for an ecobiotic. How many pages is your
0: book?
4: I was about to look that up, and I, like, knocked it over. So I'm glad <laughs> to go back to the bed. Uh, 220. Um. for your book?
1: And for God's sake, don't underestimate the value of good layout. It does more than just fill up space. If you have, have bad layout, even something as simple as uh, the spacing... I don't have a, a oh. raffle. Um, even Peter Freebie,
2: you want a
3: freebie. <laughs> Allie Kelly? Uh,
1: even something as simple as it the you know, spacing between coming. the lines being not quite what the reader wants um, if somebody picks up your book at a con floor or in a in a um, in a game store and they're flipping through it and you may have gorgeous art you may like but but something as simple as the spacing between your lines is a little bit off um, the the reader will bounce off of it and they won't be able to say why good layout is one of those things where if you do it right no one notices but if you do it wrong everyone notices but they're not going to be able to say that they noticed so all right so we
0: have to stop